On this episode of the Fostering Perspectives podcast, we get the opportunity of interviewing Ebony Daniels, a director of a boys group home in the Ohio area. Ebony shares with us her struggles and duties as a director, um, the day-to-day challenges that she faces, but also shares with us just the impact and the relationships that she's able to build with some of the young men that she cares for on a day-to-day basis. More importantly, we discover from Ebony how we're all just one call away with being entangled in the child welfare system. All right, Ebony, thank you so much for joining us on the Fostering Perspectives podcast today. I'm so excited to have you here. If you don't mind, just tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, where you're from, you know, all of that good stuff. Okay, well, yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me Um, again. My name's Ebony. Um, Ebony Daniels, actually, and I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. Um, I work in foster care, so I'm not, um, I'm not a, I'm a pseudo parent. Um, you know what I mean? So I always say like, I'm a mom T because like, I, I hold, um, my young men accountable like a mom, but like, I have fun with them like an aunt, like an auntie. So I'm like a mom T. Right. Um, (laughs) and so basically um, I'm a case management coordinator at the agency where I work. Um, the agency that I work at has been in business for 20 years. We work with teenage boys only. So, um, you know, our respective counties have always tried to talk us into working with girls and, you know, nothing against girls. I am one. Um, we just don't do girls. That's just not our thing. We, um, yeah, we specialize in in young men. So we, uh, we're always like, no, 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 no. Now find somebody else to do the girls, but send us your men, your young, young men. Um, so yeah, so we're licensed by the state of Ohio, um, young men age 13 to 21. And we contract with um, multiple counties in the state. And then we also contract with our um, youth services from like juvenile justice um, youth services. Okay. So you work with young men, young men only (laughs) that are in the foster care system, right? No girls, not at this point in time, those little attitudes. Um, But you said at a facility. And when I imagine when you say facility, semi like a group home. So just explain to me, for those that are unfamiliar, what is a group home um, or a facility? And how does that differ from being in a traditional foster care home? Yeah. So, um, Facility kind of is like a word, unfortunately, that's like thrown around in the social services arena because that's like what they used to really do way back in the day, like really have facilities, um, really have like, um, why did I put, so they, uh, okay, do not disturb. <laughs> All right. So, um, you know, they like, like they, used, they used to really have facilities and they used to really have uh, what they call orphanages and all this stuff, True. but like they don't have that anymore. So um, a facility would be more like of a locked location. Um, they call them residentials as well. And then sometimes they could still be like the detention center or, um, juvenile justice jail, for lack of a better word. Those are the facilities, but we're, um, a group home. So we're a step down from those locations. So like a lot of our young men, they might step down, um, from a residential or a locked facility. Um, we lock our doors for safety, but we don't have locked doors. So young men can come and go as they please. Um, you know what I mean? And so if they got upset, right. For example, if they got upset, they can just walk out the house. They don't have to feel like they're in a position to either fight or tear a property. They can just walk out the house, um, take a walk, uh, a wall for that matter, you know, whatever, like they can just, it's an open door policy. They can just walk out. And so in our group homes, um, at our largest capacity, we have five houses, um, five, we have four houses in a dorm at our largest capacity. And we serve 31 young men at any given time. And now we have uh, two locations, which is a house and apartment complex. And when the apartment complex is completely renovated, we will serve, um, 20, 20 young men. Wow. Serve 20 men. So in our group homes, though, they've always been licensed for at least five boys. And they've always had at least four bedrooms. So most of the time, what we would do is the um, the rookies 
in the house, what we call the rookies, they would be the roommates unless there was something about that young man, one of those young men where they had to have a private room. Okay. For like safety or um, mental capacity or something like that. They have their own room. But for the most part, the rookies would be the roommates. Got and, it. Um, and the young men, they live there with us 24 seven. Okay. So we're not a boarding school um, and we're not a, and we're not a youth shelter. Like they literally live there um, seven days a week, 24 hours and the staff work on a um, three shift rotation. So there's always an adult in the house, but no, there's no one adult that lives there. Got it. So basically the difference between say a foster parent home and a group home being the number of youth that are in the home sometimes potentially. And then also the fact that it's, it's more, it may be staff driven versus having a semi foster parent that lives there. This is their home. There may be staff that fluctuate in and out. Yeah. Yeah. And like we, um, let's, let's say, um, like, okay. So like the properties, they're owned by our business, you know what I mean? So in respect to a foster home, it's not a family's home, um, where like, uh, bio children of that family live there with those foster youth as well. Um, all the young men that live with us are all in the same boat. They all have not been able to live in their bio homes for whatever reason. And so um, we have every once, like every once in a while we look up and we have like siblings, you know, like every once in a while we have brothers. Um, a couple of times we've kind of looked up to come to find out that we have cousins that are with us. Um, it comes out that these two young men are cousins, something like that. But um, yeah, so they're not, they're not in a family home with um, bio children, like potentially that that couple or that parent has has their own bio children. All the children that are in the house, all the lo- all the children that are in the apartment complex, they are all quote unquote foster youth. They're all in the care of um, a court system. Right, and so that definitely makes sense. And as a foster parent, having been a foster parent for a while, a lot of times, and some of the rumors that go around is, oh, okay, well, typically the children that are quote unquote bad go to group homes. Mm-hmm. So tell me about that. Like, what's your experience with that? You know, I understand from my background that that is absolutely a rumor because sometimes there is just not enough homes available for the number of youth that are actually in care, right? Oh, yeah. However, oh, how do we dispel that myth? You know, what do you tend to see when you're working with the kids? Because I know you get some kids from all arrays and all spectrums, and I'm pretty sure you have stories of youth that we're not bad. That just simply needed a home. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the one thing I always tell people when they ask me like, what do I do and what's the population I work with and things like that. And they want clarity. Like the only thing I always tell them is that the young men in care, that's really all they have in common is that they're in care. And then like the, the, the reason that brought them to care is diverse all across the board. Yes. Some of them did come into care because they had delinquency and they could no longer stay in the home rather the the parents said they couldn't stay in the home anymore or the county and the court didn't think it was in their best interest to stay in the home anymore because there just wasn't enough supervision and that's why the young person was getting into getting into delinquency um you know sometimes you have young people who come into care uh, simply because their parent has decided like they had like parent-child conflict which all families have right and so they're like, oh, my child doesn't listen to me anymore. Like, I've been telling him to do X, Y, and Z, and he doesn't listen anymore, so I want him out the house. You know, I recently learned... Right. I recently learned that you can do that in the Mm -hmm. state of Georgia. So I'm going to have to research in Texas, because in Texas, I didn't think that was such a thing. And I have recently learned here in Georgia that you can simply say, I don't want my child anymore. My child is not listening. He or she is bad. Take them. WTF. (laughs) Like, I don't, you know, I just never knew. But yeah, so it's good to hear that, you know, kids that are part of the group home population are not necessarily just bad children. You know, they have situations and circumstances like any other child that is in foster care that, you know, they are part of, they just have the unfortunate circumstance of a decision that their parents or somebody else around them made. Yeah. Yeah, we've had young people, we've had young men come in care because like educational neglect, um, their parents just didn't have them enrolled in school. 
And um, it just came out eventually that this young person was always at home with their parents. They weren't in school. Uh, and the county services looked into that, tried to help the parent get them enrolled, and it just wasn't playing out well. So they got removed. Um, we've had young people, of course, get removed because of abuse and neglect. That's why you would get removed and you would get placed where there is placement. And so I guess maybe that's the other part of your question, like how they end up in a group home and not at a foster family, yes. because there's not enough foster families um, and or there's not enough foster families that's licensed for that age um, or they're, they're, they're licensed for that age. But the young people that they have in their house right now don't mix well with who's being referred um, for a bed. And so some people end up, so then the next thing would be a group home because outside of us, then you're going into more restrictive and you might not be a young person who needs restrictive. So that's kind of how somebody could end up in a group home and not in a foster home with a family because there's no bed, there's no bed availability, no appropriate, like that. there's no appropriate bed um, availability. And so they put the referral out, they'll put the referral out again to a wider span which now includes somebody like our agency to say, hey, do you think they'd be a good fit for you guys? And just because in their group home doesn't mean that they cannot return back to a bio family or quote unquote, step down again into a foster family. That's, you know, and I'm so glad that you said that there's not the uh, number, the right number of appropriate beds available. Because what yeah. a lot of people don't realize is that you know, yes, there are foster families that are available, but A, to your point, there's not enough foster families available for the number of kids that actually come into care. And B, sometimes kids that come into care when there's not foster parents available that suit and or are licensed for that particular age group, find themselves staying at hotels, find themselves staying at defects, buildings, um, where their case managers are, et cetera. And so, you know, I just think it's absurd that we have these children that, again, didn't ask for the circumstances that they find themselves in. And then yet there's not, to your point, an appropriate bed, a room setting somewhere where they can actually stay um, and just feel safe, you know, in the evening. So, yeah, and, and neglect, neglect is medical. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that some people just think that neglect has something to do with like food and clothing. And it's just like, those are kind of like the obvious ones. Because if you, if I see you walking down the street and your child has on shorts and flip-flops in the snow of Cleveland, hmm, I'm a little concerned. But it can be, you know, medical neglect because you don't take them to their doctor's appointments, but they have like um, high blood pressure, you know what I mean? Or they have a heart condition and like you're never taking them to their appointments. Um, they're supposed to be in physical therapy rehab and you're never taking them to their appointments and stuff like that. So it can be medical neglect, like I said, educational neglect. Um, there's a lot of reasons why kids come into care, which I don't think most people pay like attention to. They expect people to, they expect kids to come into care because they've either been beaten to death or, um, or bad as hell. You know what I'm saying? Like it, 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 it's like both extremes and um, unfortunately a lot of young people can come into care um for things that we might would think could be like um worked out um but for whatever reason it hasn't been worked out to the liking of the court and so the court gets involved until things hash out Exactly. And that's the whole premise, you know, of this whole podcast is just really making people aware and seeing things from various perspectives to understand that it's not just, you know, foster care is not just this extreme or this extreme, right? Right, Foster care is so many things in between that a lot of people are not aware of and just not educated on. And it's no fault of anyone's, but it's our it's our point and it's our duty to actually bring more awareness to these things. And so even as we're talking about this whole concept and notion of, you know, group homes, facilities, what we're going to get to, you know, with my next question, what it's like in a day of your work, you know what I'm saying? What is a day in your world look like? But a lot of foster parents even may not understand or may not be educated on that just because we're so, we can be so tunneled vision into Well, we're licensed as a foster parent and this is the age range that I take. And I only think about and know about the babies that are in my home. And that's it. You know, I don't I don't know the big picture around what's going on for everybody else. So talk to me a little bit about what is it like, you know, a day in your world tending to and dealing with what up to five boys at a time having to be what you call it, mom tea, mom, auntie to the boys. Like, what is that like for you? I mean, uh, Huh. Um, 
<laughs> it's a lot. You know, it's a lot. Like when you talk about the big picture, like, I mean, that it that picture is big, right? right. So our house has five boys in it, but our apartment has 10 right now. And my uh, my office is where the apartments are. So on any given day, 10 of the 15 can come see me just by coming down the stairs and coming across the hallway. You know what I mean? And so on any given day, 10 of them can come see me. Then I have a phone. I have a cell phone and I have a desk phone, a work cell phone and a desk phone. So these phones are ringing, you know, in respect to the care of the boys, the needs of the boys, the schools, the doctors, um, the psychs, the therapists, the moms. You know what I'm saying? I'm talking to I'm talking to bio moms, trying to help them know how to navigate working with their child. You know what I mean? I'm emailing aunts, trying to help them learn how to navigate with their nephews and things like that. You know what I mean? Um, you know, today I had a conversation with a mom. It was like 35 minutes long, you know, and I'm trying to get her to understand. And she's doing well. You know, and I'm trying to work with her to make sure she knows this is what your son does with us. Stay consistent on your end. We're consistent on our end. Stay consistent on your end. Hold him accountable. You know, she understands. She's like, I can do that. So, you know, I'm talking to mom, you know, um, I got a young man, one of my boys, he texts me at 730 this morning. Yeah, rewind. He texts me at 3 a.m. this morning. I read it at 730 this morning. He was sick last night. He's like, oh, I was sick last night. I'm not going to go into school today because I've been vomiting, you know, all night. I'm like, okay. Um, You know, I come in, I read my emails. I have to correspond with the county. And I'm just like, hey, I need these social social security cards because we're going to be opening bank accounts this week. So I got workers calling me like, Miss Ebony, can I bring it tomorrow? Can I bring it, you know? And so I'm constantly, I'm so sorry about that. Can you see me? Okay. I am constantly like navigating someone's life at when it's all said and done. I'm constantly navigating somebody's life. You know what I mean? I get a phone call. I know that number. That's the school district with a recording. So I got to take that call <laughs> and see that what the recording says. And they because, probably call you what, 10 times? Cause you yeah, got yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so this recording is telling me that this school district, because all our boys go to different schools. They don't have to okay. go to the same school and we don't have our own school. So now I'm listening to the recording. Like, okay, hybrid school starts next week. Look for it in the mail. Okay, make sure I get the mail. You know, I got a young man. No, no, no. I got my coworker, you know, he's doing appointments. So then when he's done with the appointments, he's bringing me the paperwork. Why is he bringing me the paperwork? Because I got to send it over to the county so that they know that these two young men went to the dentist today. One went to get his braces taken care of. The other one got a cleaning. Um, You know, that same coworker leaves to go get lunch and things like that. Then he comes back to me with boxes that have come in from, you know, the mail. Well, what's in the boxes? I order shoes for my young man. This, these shoes go to that young man. You know what I mean? Yeah. And oh, what's in, this, what's in this box? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't order this box. What's in here? So I look in here, the workers' compensation has sent us masks, you know. And so it's like that every day. Every day I'm like, okay. And and, and you know, I have a set of young men. Um, my eldest one, he called me this morning. Miss Ebony, I got to work today, you know, but I signed my lease for my new uh, my new apartment on Wednesday. Okay, cool. Did you talk to your emancipation worker? Yeah, she's taking us to do furniture today. Okay, text me later. So I'm always like trying to make sure I knock out at least something for five of them. Okay. But I'm probably going to hit 20. I'm probably going to hit all of them at any given time. That's a lot, Ebony. And let me yes. just say, and it's, and it's like that every day. That every I, day. I hats off to you, right? <laughs> even as a foster parent with siblings at three, whatever, paperwork, appointments, all of that, that's tough on that end with that number, let alone <laughs> the multiples and some of the other things that I'm sure you have to deal with having adolescent young men, you know, yes. in school and all of that, like hats off to you definitely for Thank what you. you do. Cause not everybody, 
not everybody could do it, right? Just like not everybody's cut out to, you know, be a foster parent or engage, but even to the next level, not everybody's um, cut out to really be an administrator for a home and facility where you see a number of youth coming in. And one thing that you didn't mention was, yeah, you know, you may have to do one something for at least five, if not all 10 boys, but you didn't mention that there's transitions, right? So what could be coming, going, leaving, you know, like- yeah, I got a new one coming tomorrow. Um, I got a new young man coming tomorrow. I got two young men. Like I said, my eldest boy, he'll be 20 next month. Um, and I got another young man that'll be 19 next month. I'm trying to figure out when are they going to emancipate because it's coming. You know what I mean? It's knocking on the door. Um, and my eldest was potentially getting emancipated today, but court got postponed. So now I'm like, okay okay, cool. Like, you're not going to, we got another couple of weeks with you, but then it's like, he's trying to be prepared to go into this apartment, like, because he has an apartment now. So now I'm trying to prepare him for what that means because he's like, okay, I I, I put a deposit down. Now I'm going to go back and I'm going to sign this lease. And it's like, okay, I should be it because it's, it's through the, um, it's through the housing authority. So it is affordable and he should be able to put down, you know, two months worth of rent. He did get a new job. He started last week. So like, like, that's cool. You know what I mean? We're doing, so we're just like doing all this stuff, trying to figure out, well, what's the County going to do? Because if he's not emancipated yet, he's really kind of still our responsibility unless the County says he's not and they let him move and they follow him through that move until he emancipates. So now I'm trying to navigate that to prepare him for what that means. Even though it doesn't mean he can't call us, there's a difference between the responsibility we have to him once it happens. So he can call us all day long, but there might be a lot of stuff that we'd be like, no, nah, you gonna have to do that on your own. Right. And he's pretty, you know, and he's pretty self-sufficient. Um, I thank God for that. He's pretty self-sufficient, but all my boys not like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And I can't, I can't um, always call some of my boys and say, Hey, this is what I need you to do. Most of them I can though. Luckily right now, the cohort that we are working with, I can call them and I can say, hey, this is what Ms. Ebony needs you to do. I'm working on this. Can you do this for me? Report back to me. And they they can pretty much do it. So luckily um, I do have a cohort that's like flexible. <laughs> and you know, that's definitely good to hear. And it's interesting as you talk about the young man who's um, emancipating out and even the other young man that you said was nearly, I guess, 19 or so on the verge yeah, of following. And he's following. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, And you mentioned something earlier in that, you know, one of your tasks today was to get social so that you can order open up bank accounts. You know, with my nonprofit organization, one of our biggest things with fostering life is the the, the I in life. Right. All about independence and making sure kids are equipped with the skills that they need to be independent. So those life skills, that money management, that budgeting, that how to manage a household, how to find a job. What are some of the things that you guys do um, sort of in your facility, in the group home to support them gathering and, and getting those uh, life skills that they need to truly be successful as they emancipate out and, and go forth on their own? Right, so we, we partner, we partner, we partner. So, um, here in our county, at, at least in our region, I put it like that, um, there's a program that's supported by the NEKC Foundation and a place for me and all that jazz, and it's called Opportunity Passport, and it's a financial literacy program. So in that program, they do um, four sessions. They learn about banking, credit, budgeting, saving money, things like that, and then they have the opportunity to open a bank account where that program puts seed money in there. And it's it's all about like training them and teaching them how to save money towards an asset. So there's an asset list and um, opportunity passport will help them like match what they're able to save in order to buy that asset. So we participate, you know, we participate in that heavily. Um, I will have been with InFocus eight years in October. My agency is called the agency I work for. I don't own it. <laughs> the agency I work for is called um, InFocus of Cleveland. And um, I will have been there eight years in October. And I probably put at least five young men in that program twice a year. Good. So we're always we're always putting our young men in that program. Um, 
And at any given time, like I said, when we were at our largest, we served 31 young men at on that day. And like you said, since they're always transitioning at any, you know, we could have served anywhere from 30 to 50 young men every year. If we have a cohort that transitions a lot and they're coming in and out a lot. Right. Now this, this cohort that we're working with now, they've been pretty stable, give or take two or three, four a year. So we haven't seen those type of numbers, which is kind of a good thing, um, which means that they're able to maintain placement is working well for them, you know, things like that. Plus we close some doors. So we don't have as many beds, but um, for sure, opportunity passport. I got to have them by my side. Um, they have chores. So they have chores. They make sure money. Um, we have different like partners that come in and out to help us do stuff. And the young men get to help them. So contractors, they get to help with contractors. They get to help with, um, tell me what they're called. Landscapers. Um, they get to help with landscapers. Uh, we've had some cooks come in and, you know, things like that. So they get to help with cooks. We have a cook. They get to help her. Um, my, my CEO is, um, my CEO is an officer. He's a police officer. Um, and he's also a training police officer. So they learn a lot about just, you know, laws and justice and things like that because of him. And so, um, and we just also have done a lot of other partnerships. You know what I mean? We have a partnership with a former foster youth. Um, she comes in a lot, takes the boys on like exposure. Her thing is about exposure for, for men, young men. So she's done things with them to take them for exposure to like science labs and field trips. Um, you know, I don't know, uh, the calves, you know, she's taking them to meet the calves, um, the Browns, things like that. So yeah, we're just constantly always trying to like partner and then use the, the regular things that's around us, the rec centers, the libraries, right. you know, roller, roller rinks, stuff like that. But um, once they start getting older, yeah, we start to talk a lot about apartments and, and bills you know they have to pay their own cell phone bill occasionally we'll pay it for them but for the most part it's like you make your money save you need to, how much is your bill again okay you need to put that money aside so you can pay your cell phone bill or you're gonna be living off wi-fi you know and sometimes they you know they gotta take that l um right. we buy them things but if there's a large item that they like one of my, my like my baby boy he wanted uggs okay you can have some uggs but you're going to help pay for them, <laughs> you know? And it's really, it's not even about like just being rude to them, but it's just about like, you have to save money for the things that you want. And if you want nice things, that's cool. You know, we, he put like $30 on them, you know? Okay, fine. Yeah. But, but it's the principle. Yeah. It's he, the, he the fact that, it. that you want something and you see it, you see it in your view. Good. Keep an eye on it, you know, cause the price might go down. And then when you see that it's in your budget, let us know, boom, you know, they can put money on a, um, uh, a gift card, you know, they can put money on a gift card and they can make their purchase online. They get it in the shipment. They happy. My baby boy bought like a, what did he buy? <laughs> he bought like his own game chair, you know, the gaming chairs. Yes. So yeah, he was like, Miss Ebony, it's on sale. I said, okay, get it. <laughs> you know, that's just, it's exciting to hear you talk about A, the partnerships, because I think that that's very critical, especially having a, you know, a nonprofit organization that really wants to work with, um, not wants to, does, and wants to work with more foster youth, but understanding that the partnerships between your DFACs, your CPS, your agencies, your CPAs is very critical because they have the connection to the youth to which we're trying to work with and empower, right? So creating right. that partnership is very critical. Um, and then you had just mentioned, you know, the point of also exposure. I think that is the biggest thing. So this past Saturday did a, a session, Uplifting Youth Voices, where we talked to some youth teenagers that are in foster care, um, just about some of the things that they would like to see when it comes to organizations that work with them and support them. And the biggest thing that I heard them say, but they didn't say was exposure. I don't mm -hmm. know what I don't know because I haven't seen it because I don't know because no one has shown me or told me and all of that good stuff. So the fact that you're able to partner with organizations that are able to take the boys while they're in your care and, you know, do some of that stuff, that is absolutely amazing. 
And can yeah. I just say that I love the fact that you call him your baby? Like, I just oh, love yeah, the yeah, fact baby. that you view them yeah. as, you know, your kids. These are my peoples. These are not, you know, those young men over there, whatever. Like, yeah. the fact that you just call him, yeah, my youngest, my baby. Like, I just, I really love that. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, they, in this moment, they are. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and, his, and, and baby boy, his mother is involved. You know what I mean? And his sisters are involved. But he's still in he's still in our care, you know what I mean? And so if you know, if a school makes a phone call about him, they don't call them, they call me. And I might relay mess relay some messages and things like that. But you know, what I mean, they don't call mama, you know, and they don't call sisters, they call me. So yeah. in this in this moment, you know, what I mean, I have to treat him like he's mine. You know, I know he's not mine, but I have to treat him like he's mine in order to ensure that he gets what he needs, you know, my eldest. Right. You know, when I call him, I say, you know, what I mean, son, what are you doing? That's my first question. Son, what are you doing? And he'll tell me, you know, and I'll say, OK, what you got going on today? Because he he's about to be 20 years old. I can't baby him. You know what I mean? And I really can't treat him like he's in care anymore because that's out the window. Like he is in care technically. But not for much longer, you know, and I can't treat him to keep depending on being in care. Very so. True. I have to call him like, you know, what are you doing? Okay. What did the school tell you? Okay. So make sure you follow up on that and then tell me what happens when you talk to Ms. Cook, you know, or, or whomever the person is like, tell me what happens. So I can know if you need a ride, do you need a ride? And he'll say, no, I can, I got a ride already. Or he'll say, no, I'm going to take the bus today and I'll call you when I'm done. You know what I'm saying? And so, and that's how I navigate him because he got to do his thing. So if he's stuck, he'll ask me, I'll answer him, he'll move forward. And, um, you know, he did his deposit. He was like, how do I do a money order? I told him, he took care of it. And he sent me a picture of the money order. Like, I'm, I'm good. I'm about to turn this in, you know? So yeah, I got to treat them. I do kind of have to treat them like they're mine, but make sure I remind them, like, you got to move forward like you on your own because ultimately you kind of are. Right. So, yeah, I, you know, I mean, I'm here to support you. I'm here to hold you accountable. I'm here to be on your neck. But you got to do, you know, what I'm saying ultimately you got to do it yourself. So, like, let's work together and get this done. Yeah. And, um, they, you know, they, they're good kids. That's, you know, it's absolutely true what you're saying, because, you know, that's the whole premise of not just my organization, but so many organizations is just being in that transitional space for these youth as they're transitioning out. Because at the end of the day, when a youth is not, you know, is not adopted or not reconnected with the bios, et cetera, like the unfortunate case is that youth is on their own. And so are they prepared to navigate the world successfully on their own? And so you're being sort of there, one foot in, one foot out. You know, most times people will look at that as like a negative thing, but I absolutely understand what you're saying with that because you don't want to coddle them. Thus, they're not prepared to handle the world on their own, but you also want to be there um, yeah. when they need that support. And so that's that's awesome. Yeah, so, and I, would say the, I would say the difference between like me, well, you know, maybe not, but I guess so. Like I work with a lot of different, young men like at any given time and Mm -hmm. so I have to like care enough to get things done for them in a in the right way in the in in the appropriate way what's best for them but I gotta be removed enough for it to not like for me to not take it personally um and I think like foster families it would be harder I could see how it'd be harder for them because it's their home it's the place that they built for their comfort and now they have a foster youth foster youth inside um and so I can see how it's hard for them to like not take things personal when the young person is like no I'm not doing that you stupid blah blah you know so I gotta be like removed enough to not take it personally right but I show and my co-workers we show enough care where like my one coworker, he has a really close relationship with, with one of the young men that we worked with, I say, at least four and a half years ago now. He got to be 25, 26 years old or something like that. And he visits my coworker at um, our house like every other month. He comes to see him to say, you know, um, sometimes he call him, calls him by his name, like Mr. So-and-so. And then sometimes he call him Pops. But like he comes to see him 
one, because they have that type of relationship. Two, he wants my coworker to know that he's safe. He's been okay. And, you know, some other times he got stuff to share with them. Um, you know, one of my young men that we had two years ago now, two and a half years ago now, we took him to college and everything. Um, he just texts me. Now, why did he text me? Because <laughs> he wanted to know, did he have mail? You know, because they still <laughs> have their mail sent to us. But he also was like, you know, Miss Miss E. Now he called me Miss E. He said, you know, Miss E, I did get my mail changed. Like I did request for the change, but right. I just wanted to make sure nothing was still coming there. By the way, how you doing? You know. Yeah. And so I said, you know, are you okay? And he said, I'm okay. I'm learning real estate, so I can learn how to flip houses. He's got to be like 22 or 23. Nice. Um, you know. And so I would say, the the oldest young man that I've probably worked with has to be between 25 and 26 now, um, you know? And they tell us like, oh, I had a baby, I got a daughter now, or, you know, I got a son, I'm gonna I'm send y'all pictures, you know? So we always hear from a good portion of them. That's just a testament to the bond they are able to build with the kiddos that have come through, you know, come through your facility. So that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So if you were, you know, you've worked with these youth for so long. I know you said you have been with your organization for a while. What is something that you have learned about the foster care system, having been in your role? And what's mm-hmm. something that you would leave with foster parents that are maybe considering or on the fence about um, fostering an older age range of child, you know, that, that teenager, et cetera? Um. I come from early childhood education, right? So my, my, my formal education is in developmental psychology, social work, like all that jazz. Um, but while I was in school getting my degrees, I worked in early childhood education. Now I worked in early childhood education in the hood, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so um, I worked at Head Start, which we know is for you know families under a certain threshold of finance. So like, you know, I'm gonna keep it funky. I worked in the hood, right? And so the, the un- unfortunately, a lot of youth are just like one incident away from being in foster care. Very true. That's what a lot of people don't realize. Like foster care is just like a technicality because somebody caught on. Yeah. What happened? You know what I mean? That's what happened. Somebody caught on. And then it came before a court, a judge, a, a, a determinant. And they decided that at least for now, we're going to remove the child. And we're going to work on some things while the child is removed with hopefully intention to get them back to their parent or at least get them back to their kin. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes it doesn't work fast enough in respect to the child being removed. Because unfortunately, there's been incidents in every state where a young person fell under the radar, should have got pulled out of the home, or pulled out of the environment, and then unfortunately, they 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 right. pass something them. bad happens. Correct. Something bad happens. So, um, a lot of youth, a lot of families are just one phone call away, one incident away from foster care. That don't make it right though. I don't necessarily agree with that because a lot of times it's really like the powers that be is their fault that the families are not equipped to do what they need to do so that they're not one phone call away. But but believe that they're one phone call away. You're one phone call away. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You, you're in the store and you're not having a good day and the child is just like wilding and you smack them. It's a wrap. Yep. Somebody gonna make a phone call. Somebody can make a phone call, and then somebody else could be like, "Yeah, I saw it too." And then now you're dealing. Now you're in. You're in bed with uh, child services. Yep. Now you're in bed with child services, and it's a matter of are they going to be able to put things in place to work with you in your home, or are they going to remove the kid? And so, like, that's one thing for sure that I knew was factual when it came to foster care, because, like I said, I. I worked in early childhood education, which made me what? A mandated reporter. So then I had to, you know, trust and believe I had babies. I mean, I had a baby and I'm looking at him like, y'all don't see this? <laughs> y'all don't see these whelps on him? You know what I mean? Somebody got to tell me something because she about to get a phone call. Um, and so you just want, you know, you just one call away. Um, working 
aside from that, working in foster care, I would say the other thing that I um, learned was that they just need the opportunity. Right. You know what I mean? They just need the opportunity. And that has nothing to do with like the trauma they have experienced, the deficits that they have, learning disabilities, health issues, because any child can have that for real, for real. You know, it has nothing to do with the fact that they're in foster care. Like it's just, it, it's just exacerbated because they're in foster care. But any young person could be failing school. Any young person could be having health issues. Any young person could be acting out. Um, but foster youth, they just need the opportunity. They just need the opportunity to do it themselves, ask questions, not be judged, um, have exposure, you know, like we said, um, be given options, uh, be given a voice, you know, um, and, and that's, you know, I learned that if you, if you work in foster care or if you are, if you're a foster parent, if you, if you're in the foster care arena, mm-hmm. um, I learned that the best thing to do is to give them opportunity, you know, give them the opportunity to participate in their meetings, to have something to say, even if what they're saying ain't right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Give them the opportunity to tell you, well, you know what? I really don't like green beans, but I like broccoli. Um, and you might tell them, okay, well, it's a nice dinner does have green beans, but I'll remember about the broccoli next time, you know, um, you know, give them the opportunity to, to tell you their stories and tell you their experiences and things like that. Give them the opportunity to know that nobody's life is perfect, but it's true. You probably have gone through some, some things that I haven't gone through, you know, and I'll tell the boys that quick, like. I can't really relate. I didn't have those issues, but I, I didn't have that experience, but I do know that, um, I don't know, making friends is an issue that we all have. You know, I didn't necessarily have an experience where like I was bullied in school, but making friends and knowing who your true friends may really be is something that we all struggle with. Um, and so you're not alone in that in that area where you're like, is that my friend? Can I trust them? You know, why they play me like that? You know, they ghosted me. I thought we was going to the movies and stuff, you know? And, um, for, 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 for families, that's always like, Oh, I don't want no teenager. They, you know, they bad, they smart mouth. They just say that you're right. <laughs> right. You're right. Teenagers are those things. Foster care or not. Yeah. Like are those things. You're right. Teenagers. Mm-hmm. have snippy mouths you know um they think they know everything and they want to do their own thing but like that's like child development and I know we're not all trained in that I get it but like that's child development so even if you have your own child they gonna be the same way <laughs> and I guess you feel like well that's, that's my child I'll... yeah and you probably feel like well that's my child I'll deal with it when I get to that and you'll be one phone call away from foster care <laughs> you know <laughs> it's like the same it's like the same thing so you kind of just got to know that they they have some experiences that you don't have that you can't relate to that you can't tell them nothing about you can't tell them about it because they they know it firsthand back back of their hand they know it and so the only thing you really can do is listen you know listen to them and or just give them the space to not address it right then and there. They probably just don't want to address it right then and there. Mm, okay. Yeah, they'll come around. But when but, but when foster families don't want to um, foster teenagers, I think they're really doing themselves a disservice because teenagers are really insightful. They're really kind of fun. You know what I mean? I mean, I laugh and joke with my boys all the time, maybe because I get lucky and my boys understand my dry humor. They kind of understand my, my, um, my sarcasm with them, Mm -hmm. but it works for them to understand where they're going wrong, like, or, or why they saw it wrong or why they misunderstood it. You know, I'm able, they're able to like tell me stuff and then I'll be like, so how's that working for you? (laughs) You know what I mean? And they'll look at me like, what do you mean? And I'm like, you told me X, Y, and Z. And now you're wondering why you got an F in the class. How's that working? Like, you know what I mean? And at least with the teenagers, 
if you have a rapport with them and you're not already judging them, they're going to have a really good relationship with you and they're going to be able to really respect you. I'd like to think and pray that my boys respect me. You know, um, they don't always agree with me. They don't always like the stuff I say um, because it, it hits them where they're like, God, gosh, darn it. She's right. You right. Know? Damn like, it. <laughs> yeah. Like they don't, they're like, oh, Miss Ebony, like go back to your office. And I'll go back to my office and 10 minutes later, they'll be in my office talking, <laughs> you know? And so it's yeah. like, I always tell them like, it's cool. You'll love me in the morning. Like you're good. You know, we're, we're good. You're going to love me in the morning. I'm okay with the fact that you didn't like what I said, but you know, it's true. So as long as, as long as you and I know that like the conversations and the exchanges that we're having are true, then we're good. Other than that, like you, you make your own decisions. Right. Just don't forget. That's what I told you. You know, when it happens, don't forget that's what I told you. As long as you know we operate on facts, then you know everything else will fall in line. You know. Yeah, Ebony, that's like, you know, I just again, I'm sitting over here so giddy and so happy to have you in the field working with these kids because some of the things that you just sat there and talked about, you know, was individuals being just one phone call away. I mean, I have an 11 year old that's going through what, like preteen adolescence or whatever. So that one phone call the way we, we've been there probably too many times. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I always talking about, like, you know, I tell people like, I'll take your high schoolers. Like give me like, we're, we're licensed 13 and up. Give me 13 and up. Cause like, if they're anywhere between like 10 and becoming 13, I'm, mm-mm. I might be like, look, go sit down. <laughs> Like, I'm serious. Go sit down because you think you're somebody that you're not. And I don't, mm-mm, like, go sit down. Go ahead. Now. You go need it when they've already found themselves. Yeah. Or, <laughs> or, or finding yourself. Or, or reinventing themselves. Because, yeah. you know, a lot of teenagers are, like, just just reinventing themselves. Yes. So, you know, it's it's just so amazing. And then when you talk about, you know, the opportunity and just giving them the opportunities because just because a child is a quote unquote foster youth doesn't necessarily make them different from any other child that's out here. And one of the things that I've talked about um, in previous conversations is really getting away from the terminology foster youth. Right. Because that child is just a child that's in yeah. foster care, but that doesn't make them some special type of youth, you know, like they're just yeah. that's in care. So I definitely appreciate that. So I ask this of all of my um, interviewees, since this is the Fostering Perspectives podcast and we look at things from varying perspectives, obviously my perspective is that of an African-American individual, a female that has been a foster parent for a while and just really like looking at the system from that lens from your lens, from Ebony's lens, working in the group home, working with young boys um, that have, you know, that are in the system and getting ready to age out. What is one thing that you would change about the foster care system? Mm. You know, we, um, while I know that like right, right now, you know, we're working with a lot of older young men um, 17 and a half and up because we always um, mold ourselves to what's going on in our area. And, and so what's going on in our area, and I can, assume, I can assume in a lot of areas, it's just really this whole thing about emancipation and how there are um, what they call um, lifers, long stayers. And um, those are the individuals who, who literally have been in care at least four years or more for whatever reason, they might have ended up having to transition to permanent custody. And so now they really are going to emancipate out. And then it's like, we really don't want to emancipate them just because they happen to turn 18. So now we're looking at how to make sure they really are ready to emancipate. Hint the reason why I have someone with me who's about to be 20. Um, Hint the reason why last summer, my eldest was 20 and he turned um, 21 in November and he had... um, emancipated uh, two and a half half months before he turned 21, because that's what's going on. That's what's going on. Um, And before him, our eldest was 21. When he emancipated, he emancipated two days after his 21st birthday. And so that's what's going on, you know, around these parts. Older youth, 
uh, being held in care for a variety of reasons. And then that last reason is because they're preparing to as best and safe as possible emancipate out. But um, but we but we focus a lot on family dynamics and involvement at our agency as well. So even 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 the the oldest one that I have right now, um, he had a grandfather that he was heavily involved with, um, but his grandfather, for whatever reason, had to um, move out of state um, to be closer to like some other a, a larger group of family. I think it was, um, but his mother is still in the city. You know what I mean? So I'm always like, you talk to your mother, what's going on with her? You know, does she know you're moving? Make sure, you know, you you stay in contact with her and things like that. And so allowing, I, I think that the foster, and, and maybe that's how it's moving with Family First initiative and things like that. But we do um, focus a lot on healthy family connections, maintaining healthy family connections, you know what I mean? And I think that that's what the, the foster um, arena should focus on. And like I said, hopefully that's what they're going to be, um, hopefully that's what they're going to be focusing on with the new Family First Initiative. Um, but even uh, even when they're in care, see like a lot of times it might be because they're trying to be as preventative as possible and do it before care. But if, if the child ends up in care, you can't just drop the family like hotcakes and act like they don't exist, you know? And um, we focus heavily on making sure that our boys have someone, you know, whether when I do the intake, whether when I do the 30 day review or the 90 day review, I'm constantly asking the young men, like, who else can you get me? You got a godmother, you got a god sister, you got an aunt, you got a cousin. Like, I'm always like, you know, somebody, even to the point where I'm like, you got a best friend's mom? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that is your, does your best friend's mom know the situation that you're in? And, and, and how is she willing to be a part of your continued support? You know what I mean? How can she be a part of your continued, like, um, familial connection? And I think that I would that's what I would change in foster care. Like not always being so quick to be like, oh no, 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 no. They can't be with their bio family because they're such bad influences. Mm, okay, cool. That's their family. That's their family. And I'm pretty confident there's at least one person. There's one uncle, June Bug. There's one cousin, Leroy. There's something. There's someone, <laughs> you know, that that we can reach out to and we can say hey this is what's going on this is what we're trying to accomplish how can you help us now if they say like i really can't help you i'm still getting myself together then cool i can i can take the honesty um but i would uh i wish that the foster care uh, arena would focus more on really digging deep now we have a couple of agencies that like that's what they do but that's like that's because that's what that agency does i really think that it needs to be the system itself yeah that yeah. is driving the fact that you know how can we maintain um nourish and support a better relationship between mom and son because we have boys you know mom and son even if son really isn't um, projected to return, how can we at least make sure that their relationship is healthy as he gets older and, you know, he doesn't grow older and begin to resent her and, you know, have want nothing to do with her and like all this stuff when ultimately it really could have been something that she just couldn't control. That's very um, true. You know, you talked uh, about the, um, I'm sorry, you talked about the Families First Act and that is one of the aspects of the Families First Act. And, you know, that Families First legislation is a whole podcast in and of itself breaking that yeah. down. There are components yeah. that are for the good. There are some components that you look at in side eye, like this is a political thing right here. And which party signed this into, into, um, into action? So that's yeah. a whole nother isn't it all, You know, isn't it all political? Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, but, it's all a political game, which is... Again, yeah. again, whole another podcast because it's all a, a money game. Um, 
But the fact that you, you know, you brought that up, that is very interesting. And that is something that individuals should always consider. And sometimes, you know, being in um, the situation as a foster parent, we don't always think positively um, in regards to the bond and that building that family back together and or keeping that child in contact with and, you know, um, near someone of their biological family, because we... Sometimes, again, I'm not speaking for everybody, but sometimes as a foster parent, you're like, oh, yes, I'm doing the best thing possible by providing a loving home for this child because where they came from was horrible. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been in foster care. But to your earlier point, it's not always that way. It's not always a horrible situation. I mean, just recently, this past week, there was a young woman that was jailed in Texas for leaving her 10-year-old daughter home with her two-year-old daughter. But you know why? so that she could go to work, so that she could try to have money to keep a roof over their head so that they can have a place to live. So, you know, just as you mentioned before, it's a system that doesn't support the next part of the system. And so therefore we're just creating this, this, you know, what do you call it? Like the wheel. What, mm-hmm. what animal is that that just keeps turning in the wheel? You know, oh, the wheel? yes, there you go. But Ebony, so thank you so much for joining us. This has been such a great conversation. I really appreciate it. So tell everybody like where they can find you, your organization. Um, You have, I know you have a nonprofit. Um, So just tell us where we can find more Ebony and the organization that you work for, you know. Yeah, so I I personally don't have a nonprofit. I work for one. So where I work, our group home is a nonprofit. A not-for-profit. Okay. Okay. Um, and we do have a website. My CEO just told me that it was on the fritz today, so I don't know what that's about. Um, but we do, but we do have a um, a website. It's just you know who we are in focus of Cleveland.com. and um, you know we talk a little bit there about the services that we offer, and um, we don't. It's so weird. Like we don't do a lot of promo because. We just take care of young men, you know, and a lot of times we are able to get our partners and our, our, our help because like, um, I don't know, we just talk to people, you know what I mean? We kind of just, if, if any one of um, my coworkers or whatever, you know, when we're out and people just ask us what we do, we just have these conversations and then people are like, oh, really, how can I, you know, how can I help? Or I know somebody who can help you all or, you know, so I wouldn't say like we have like the best, <laughs> the best promo. Um, because we don't look for handouts, right. you know, but, but we, but we definitely welcome, um, support. So, you know I mean? We definitely welcome support. So we do have the, you know, www.infocusofcleveland. Nobody says the W's anymore. Right. No one it's says like, that anymore. Listen. It's like, how many of them are, is there? Um, so <laughs> infocusofcleveland.com, you know what I mean? Like I said, we're in Cleveland, Ohio. Teenage boys is, you know, our specialty. Um, you know, I have an Instagram, but <laughs> it's got nothing to do with foster care. That's um, okay. In focus of yeah. Cleveland. So for all my listeners out there in Cleveland and or anywhere in the world that want to support yeah. in focus and what they're doing with the yeah. young men that are in foster care, hit them up. Hit up Ebony. At yeah. the focus, just say, "Hey, I heard a podcast that Ebony was talking about all the wonderful things that she does." Yeah, the- yeah. I'm. A, I mean, trust me, I'm always talking foster care. I'm always, you know, every once in a while on my social medias, I might give like a funny story, or I might give like a uh, a congratulatory, you know, congratulatory story about one of my boys. But you know, when you do it every day, all day, like you gotta have some separation. So a lot of, you know, it's like a lot of my social media got nothing to do with foster care, but, but I, but I'm definitely always, um, informing and educating people about like foster care, you know, and I'm always telling people like, oh, my boy's this or my boy's that, you know, or, 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 oh, oh my God, I gotta go to the store. I got, oh my God, I gotta get these shoes for my boys. Like, you know what I mean? And it, it can come out at any given time. And so people are like, you got kids that old? And I'd be like, yeah, I got like 12 of them, you know? And I'm always like, love people's faces when you say that? I'm like, yeah, I got 12 of them and, you know, or 15 of them or, you know, and I'll say, yeah, I got four 17-year-olds, you know, three, three 16-year-olds, one 14-year-old. But yeah, I'm, I'm always telling people like, you know, this is, this is really kind of like the truth about um, the foster care 
And, and I wished it, you know, I've talked to my program director before and, it, and we've always been like, what else can we, like, what else can we call it? But it really is just kids and care. Very true. You know, um, I did like the, you know, the concept of like foster families being resource families, um, support families, you know. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it can be fun. It can be tedious. Um, it can be frustrating. It, it, it can be like, you know, that, like whatever that is when you're just like looking Fill in off, the blank. And you're like, how am I going to get through the day? You know, mm-hmm. but um, it's well worth it. You know, it's well worth it. I always enjoy my boys. I enjoy my boys when they're at their best and I, I enjoy them with their, when they're at their worst. You know, uh, and, and I've had young men at their worst. I really, you know, we really have. We really have had young men on the news. You know, we really have had, um, you know, young men in, in, in court, mm-hmm. you know, and and, and it, it get hard sometimes. You know, we've had one or two young men, you know what I'm saying, taken from us, you know, taken from this earth. And so uh, not while they were with us, but just like eventually we heard you know, yeah. that unfortunately, you know, they were taken from us and it can be hard, but ultimately um, it's rewarding. And knowing that you gave somebody your all in order to help them find their way in this world, it's rewarding. I can say that. So I'm going to leave us on that note because that is the <laughs> ultimate high to know that yeah. you have given somebody else your all so that they can find themselves on this earth and find what they're about. That is amazing. So yeah. Ebony, thank you so much for joining us again. Oh, thanks for having me.